Over 30 years of advice for your house, home, castle, or cabin. Y'all have things you want to get done. It's Rosie on the House. Yes, it is. And we are open for business this next hour. We welcome your phone calls about questions you might have about your house, home, castle, or cabin. Romy, my son, and I will put our decades of uh, remodeling experience to work for you and see if we can't recommend the right tool, the right product, and the right little tricks of the trade to get whatever you're trying to get done, get it done and get it done right. That's what we do here at Rosie on the House. You join the conversation by dialing the toll-free number one 767 4348 been having a good time so far this morning, uh, starting at 7 o'clock this morning. We were talking about <clears throat> just get out to a festival. There are so many things to do around Arizona right now. Find one, get out, and do it. And if you're listening to us the rest of the year, you've got the time to do it because you're not a slave to your home constantly trying to get something done. Eight o'clock hour, we had uh, John Eisenhower in here talking about trees, although today he mostly talked about chips. <laughs> chips, chips and chips, wood chips everywhere. Let's spread wood chips everywhere and all of the things wood chips can do for your yard. I think he loves his job a little too much. Yes, that, <laughs> man, loves, that. that man loves his trees, that's for sure. Uh, and then last hour, Jennifer and I were sharing with y'all things that we discovered at the Kitchen and Bath Industrial Show. Uh, and a couple of them have actually changed our lives. So all of that's available if you'd like to listen to it again on the podcast. But here in the 10 o'clock hour, we're going live. And Vegas has quite the – so they had the K-Biz show. I don't know the exact dates of that. That was last week? A couple weeks ago. Was it? Well, yeah. the World of Concrete, which is, as I've heard, yes. the biggest – construction-related trade show in Vegas was the 4th through the 7th. So that just wrapped up the last three days. And I've not made the concrete show, but I hear that's the, the one to, to attend. Well, I will have to tell you, as a convention attendee, uh, Las Vegas does it well. Uh, there isn't very much I like about Las Vegas. It's not a vacation destination for me. I've never learned to win at gambling. <laughs> so... So I just don't. <laughs> uh, I saved $100 to gamble this last trip. Just, I didn't even know what I was going to do. I don't know how to play most of the games. But the $100 never left my pocket. <laughs> I just could I, never pry that money out of my pocket and feed it to some machine. It's too hard to earn and too easy to give away that way. I guess if, if I were good at cards like you, I guess I could learn to enjoy it, but I've never, I don't think I've ever won a hand of poker in my life. Not that I've played that many, but I've never won a hand. So I just don't, don't. but Las Vegas with their monorail system and the hotels they've got that all feed into that convention center, which is the largest convention center in a country, I believe they do national conventions very well. You get there and you never have to get in your car. And I, I made the comment that there are no good places to eat in Las Vegas. 
And I guess Jennifer took a lot of grief for that. She <laughs> she got a lot of input from a lot of people. Well, did you try this? Did you try that? Well, apparently we didn't because we've been there now for the National Rodeo Finals. We've been there for the kitchen and bath. And we haven't found a good place to eat in Vegas yet. That was what wore us out more than anything coming back from the, the Mike Johnson Rodeo. It's just, you know, we you, you bring food to make, but, I mean, you're constantly, you know, going here, there, and it's, you know, carrying food with you isn't practical. Yeah, right. Especially right. while you're riding around. But, man, oh, we were just so sick of, of the food. Well, that's our that's our opinion of Las Vegas. So I know that's not why you tuned in. You tuned in for information about your house, home, castle, or cabin. And if you're a regular subscriber of our email newsletter, you can go to rosyonnows.com and ask for a subscription. Uh, we'll never give your name to anybody. Uh, you won't have to worry about the security of your email. It'll never, never leave our vault. But we'll send you an email every Thursday and just kind of give you a heads up of the things we're going to talk about this coming Saturday. And we gave you an alert. Hey, here are the things Jennifer and I saw at KBiz we want to talk about. When the 10 o'clock hour, it's kind of that time where we want to talk about something technical. In the in, in this week, it's in the electrical world. Yeah, we'll have Fox Valley Electric on in a little bit, talking about uh, changing out your uh, switches to dimmers. And you had mentioned uh, earlier that, in you know, eventually... Arizona will be a seven million uh, inhabitant state, and I, I think we're already there. We are. The that census, was my mistake. The census for twenty twenty is coming up, and it's it's going to scare me what those numbers are. But you know what? It's a great state, and there's there's room to grow. A home builder unveils surprise luxury community with golf course coming. Fortune five hundred builder Toll Brothers uh, is getting ready to start breaking ground in surprise. Fastest growing county in the nation, fastest growing city in the nation. Uh, boy, we we were hiking Tonto Basin with a couple of friends yesterday, and they've all been here a long time. And we can remember driving on Lincoln Boulevard over to Old Squaw Peak, which is now Piestua, and there was a sign there: "Welcome to Phoenix, population two hundred and eighty-five thousand." <laughs> It was that, that it was an, updated a little while. It was a nice town back then. Back, I'm talking the '60s, baby. It was a nice town. Now we're a big city. We're a nice big city. Uh, they have 13 model homes open. This is at it's called Sterling Grove at Cotton Lane and Cactus. And this this is one that I, I think is kind of funny. It's got an 18 course golf 18 hole course designed by jack nicholas now it seems like every golf course was designed by jack nicholas so is that special if they're all designed <laughs> if the same guy designs them all is it any is it that big a deal anymore that, i don't know i'd have to be more of a golfer to be able to determine that but we are today talking about electricity and when i'm home i have my tools sorted by toolboxes and my electrical toolbox is red for a couple reasons. When I'm doing electrical work, everyone should be on caution. It's red. Jennifer doesn't even like me to take the red toolbox off the shelf. Let's just call somebody, Rosie. Electrical isn't my strength, but I've, I've replaced some dimmers. Gary, have you ever replaced dimmers at your house? Absolutely. Huh? Mm -hmm. It's a pretty... It's a popular basic. thing to try, but it, I don't think it's as easy as most people hope it would be. 
No, well, I you know when I replaced my dimmer, of course I should have checked uh, my electrical situation because uh, I think I told you the story before. Uh, when I had track lighting put in the house, I had CFL lights in the lighting and all that. So I just put a dimmer in and everything, turned it on, it was fine. But as I lowered it, I heard. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But that was years ago. Things have really changed. But as far as Eh, I'm okay with it. The, the most important thing is turn off the breaker. <laughs> yeah, any, anytime, anytime you're trying to touch electrical, uh, that's one thing. That's one thing you could do is you could make sure your service panel is properly labeled, and you'd be able to turn the breaker off that you're working on. Not only do I use a plug-in lighted indicator, but when I'm around switches. I always use the pencil indicator that tells you whether a live electricity is in that box or not. I carry both of them with me, and I want them both to tell me it's turned off. Now, I don't, I don't just depend on one safety valve. I kind of lean on both of them. But you can try and dim the wrong bulbs. You can try and uh, – how about, how about dimming a three-way switch? That's kind of tricky. I've never done that. I've never done that. Well, we'll have Fox Valley Electric in to talk about it. Let's get to Chris at one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you, Chris. Welcome to the program. Hey, how's it going, guys? Uh, uh, I want to put on a new roof, and I'm debating on what company to call. One person came out. My house is sixteen fifty square feet, and he told me I have thirty five hundred. Square feet of roof, which I find hard to believe. You have a big patio or a big entry portico share? No. Just a three-car garage and maybe a ten by twenty patio. That's it. Okay. Well, sixteen fifty a livable. Is it a flat roof or a pitched roof? It's a pitched roof and a three-car garage. Okay, so sixteen fifty with a pitched roof is going to take your surface area of roof up to about. 2,000 square feet, it's going to add about 30%. So you're at 2,000 square feet, roughly on the pitch. And a three-car garage is going to be another 600 square foot, takes you up to about 35. Uh, I'm sorry, 1,600, takes you up to about 2,600. And then that patio um, uh, is going to be another couple hundred. You know, you're just not even knowing where you live, not seeing your house. If you're 1,650 square feet with a three-car garage and a back patio, you're probably going to be close to that in square footage very good uh could you recommend somebody and then i have a quick question i had a hot water heater put in a year ago and every time i turn it on to let the water warm up i get like a rotten egg smell in there and that uh, water heater's been in how long in the bathtub. uh 10 months to a year hmm, hmm. i was a, gonna i was gonna say the anode rods yeah. probably disintegrated but yeah, that would that would be one of the one of the first things. Every every tank style water heater has a magnesium rod down the middle of it, but it generally lasts several years. Once that's gone, it's called an anode rod. We replace that, and generally that smell goes away. But Chris, as far as finding a roofer, wherever you are in Arizona, all you need to do is go to rosieonthehouse.com, type in your zip code. Say you want a roofer, and our website will automatically give you the three roofers that are closest to you, 
And anytime you're wanting to do anything around your house, home, castle, or cabin, you always start at rosieonthehouse.com. We'll tell you who to use. Don't get your windows replaced until you get an education and a quote from the experts at Pella Windows. So we've got Adam Homer in. Do you often change the window product as you go around the house? Oftentimes, customers wanting to turn a window into a door. If somebody wants to take a an operable window, maybe that they don't ever open, we turn those into picture windows. Would you change glazing options as you go around a house? You know, I guess intuitively it kind of makes sense. I mean, I understand why people think that Maybe I'll I'll do uh, you, you know your best sun defense glass on the west and south exposure, and maybe do something different uh, and less expensive on the north and east side of the house. I mean, when it's 115 degrees outside, it's 115 degrees outside, whether the sun's on it or not. I mean, you're going to put sun defense glass if you're here in the valley uh, throughout your whole home. Take the time to think through the right door and window. Tell us two locations in Scottsdale and Tucson. Find them at rosieonthehouse.com under Certified Partners. Segment number two of our Open Home Hour. It's where we cover our weekly to-do. If you have your Rosie on the House home maintenance calendar, you see dimmers there. And in 1878 was when Edison filed for a patent on the light bulb. 81 years later, in 1959, that another gentleman changed the lighting industry, a guy by the name of Joel Spira, who invented the dimmer with a diode and an auto transformer. You know, you may not have heard of Joel, but you may have heard of the company he then founded, Lutron Electronics. And now, Ben, 61 years later, we still have homes being built without light dimmers. Well, what's taking us so long to catch on here? (laughs) You know, it's crazy when you think about it because everybody really enjoys having a dimmer, be it in the kitchen or bathrooms for, you know, the middle of the night. You don't want to get blared by light first thing, you know. Um, And some people just, it's easier just to turn it on and off and they don't have to mess with the settings on it. You know, my favorite use for the dimmer is waking up in the morning. Not having that light bomb go off, walking into the shower, you know, moving from the bedroom to the bathroom to get ready for the day. Not having that glaring light bomb, is, it makes it a much easier and more comfortable transition. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think having them in the bathrooms is essential for that reason only or in the middle of the night. I, when I replaced the can lights in my kitchen, I realized that the LEDs I put in were incredibly bright, put in a dimmer just to make sure that I didn't have that blast of light first thing in the morning when I'm going to get my coffee or going to wake up the kids because that's brutal. I mean, those LEDs are really bright. It's really fun to do it to the kids in the morning, but it's not fun to do it to yourself. Oh, no, absolutely not. I mean, I have no problem to turn the light, the kids' light on, but I don't want to have that happen. So if somebody's going to tackle this project, it's a, it's a nice little upgrade. It's one that is extremely affordable in most cases. Where do I start? First thing you're going to want to look at is what you've got as far as light fixture currently and the lamp that you have at in that fixture. Um, some lamps are not dimmable. So before you go and get a dimmer, you want to make sure that your light itself is compatible with dimming. Um, like CFLs are not – most CFLs are not compatible with dimming based on how they the light is actually produced inside that bulb. LEDs will say dimmable, and any new fixture that you buy will say dimmable on it or not. I see CFLs going the way of the dinosaurs. I, I think LEDs are going to probably replace that. 
Oh, absolutely. On a ten-year time frame. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think most people that we talk to want to want the LEDs and they want to get rid of the CFLs. The LEDs last longer; they're more energy efficient, and you can do more things with an LED than you can with a CFL. So that would be the first step. Put it in your mindset. You're you're jumping straight to the LEDs. <laughs> yep, absolutely. It just makes things easier. Um, you get better light quality. And you don't have to worry about, is your bulb compatible? Um, you can just swap them out, you know, check the box, double check. It's always good to double check in case you grab the wrong one at the store. They're the way of the future. It's cheaper, they're better functioning, um, and you can get some really fancy ones too. So if I've got a bedroom that I'm trying to do this in, and it's got a typical fan light combination in it, are there any notes I need to climb up on a ladder and take from the fan, the manufacturer, before I go shopping for my dimmers? The ceiling fans, again, I mean, you shouldn't have any issues with the fan. It'll come down to the lamps that are inside the light kit on the fan itself. Just the bulbs themselves. Yep, because you're just reducing the power that's getting inputted from that switch to the fan. So I've got my new LED bulbs. I've got my dimmer switch. But coming to the actual electricity on the wall, taking off that plate, now you're entering the... (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. The the no mistake zone. Yeah. (laughs) Obviously, we suggest if you can do it yourself, make sure the circuit's turned off. If you have a voltage meter, just make sure that you've you've got no power at that switch just to avoid any potential dangers and hazards. And, and to eliminate all questions, don't worry about the individual um, switch out at the box. Go to the top one where it says main, flip the whole thing. <laughs> right, absolutely. Yeah, that way you're, you don't have to worry Shut about if you got the right one. Down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, close the fridge, turn the main breaker off, and you, know, you, you can have it done and back on in 20, 30 minutes tops. So once you get the faceplate off, what, is, what are you going to see? So you'll, on a normal switch, um, you will have two screws one for your power coming in, and then the other one for your switch leg, which takes the power when you flip the switch on up to the box and controls the lighting and the fan there, or in just a general fixture in your bedroom. And they'll generally, uh, there's a couple inches of play on the wire, you know, from the yes. electrician that installed it. So you're able to pull, you know, you take your two switches, probably a flathead off the faceplate. Yep. Then you've got two more screws underneath it to actually pull the switch out. Yep. And then you've got the wires into the switch itself. Correct. And obviously there'll be there should be a ground at the bottom as well. You should have about four or five inches of wire coming out from that box. Just makes it easier so that way you can pull it all the way out. You can almost just look at your new one and the old one on there and take one wire off at a time and put it here. Yep. <laughs> you know, take the next wire off and put it in the exact same spot on the new one and finally your ground and Theoretically, you should be good. Absolutely. Yeah, they're, they're pretty easy. So you got all three connections. You put it back in, put your two screws for the switch, two screws for the faceplate, go turn on your breaker, and you should be in business. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you should. Once you turn it on, you turn your switch on, and you can, depending on the type of dimmer you put in, you can check your dimmer and see how it's working. And what type of dimmer? We're going to talk about that here after Rosie on the House. We can do a lot, but we can't stop the clock time for bottom of the hour news break. We'll get back and talk about dimmer selections because just like paint, one's not good enough. you got to have a whole variety of options. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> not all are created equal. No. Dim all the lights, sweet darling, cause tonight it's all the way. 
If you're just joining the broadcast, we're right in the middle of a conversation with Ben Perkins, the lead estimator at Fox Valley Electric, a Rosie on the House certified partner, talking about changing out your electrical switches to dimmer so you can control the light volume. Uh, production. Production. There you go. <laughs> Inside of our homes for you know whatever application we're going to dim it, whether it's you know a nice easy transition in the morning or some lower yet enough light to read in the evening, uh, some night lights so you can move through the uh, house at the middle of the night without worrying about light bombs and glares going off and coming on. When I'm at the electrical supply store, my option of dimmer switches is pretty extensive. Oh, yeah. All sorts of different brands and different styles. And now coming in with the wireless technology, um, it's opened a whole new box for different types of switching that you can use. Um, I mean, the old school ones that you'll see in older homes are the rotary switches. Um, you just spin it up and spin it down, and you know that controls the amount of light. Do that's they being still produced. make those? You can still find them, yeah. Not a lot of people are going that way. I mean, some people, if they want, if they like that style the or they like style. the look, <laughs> then they'll put them in. Um, a lot of dimmers you'll seeing now are the slide dimmers. Um, so there will be a master on and off switch. Um, and then you'll have a little paddle that you can slide up or down and change the lighting that you want in that particular area. Um, much like the old school rotary ones where you had, you know, you'd pushed it in to turn it on, push it in, turn it off, and then you could spin it back up and down from there. Um, and then they've got you know, the wireless ones that... Before we get to wireless, what is a manual adjusted dimmer? The vertical up and down slider. What is that going to run per switch? Depending on the manufacturer and what other kind of funky things that you can do with them as far as having night lights and stuff in there, they're going to be about $24, give or take a little bit, um, at any you know big box store. Okay. And those are, I think, pretty common. Now, jumping into the wireless, I'm assuming that means that it's got some kind of Bluetooth feature that connects to your smartphone and you can adjust your light dimmers that way. Yeah. I mean, with the new, you know, now with Alexa and the Google Home and I'm sure whatever Apple's is, uh, Siri, um, I mean, you can control all of those things with certain devices. And, you know, if you plug a lamp in, you can turn on certain lights, you can dim your lights to whatever percentage that you want. Um, and that, that's a whole other spectrum of just individual lighting switches because that, that really is whole home automation. Um, that you're, everything is controlled off of central programming. And that's where the pricing starts to ramp up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that's a, the, you're, you're definitely getting up there. You're, you're past the $24 for a switch <laughs> at that point in time. Um, but, you know, for those, that li- for those that like the technology, it's awesome. I mean, you can do some really cool things with them and change your entire house and sequence them if you wanted to. Yeah. Do you have Alexa or Apple Home or anything? I have Alexa in the house, and that's purely for music. (laughs) (laughs) We don't, and uh, I I still like to do things manual. But then on our music, we've got uh, the Sonos music systems that you can use your music source or get your Pandora or your – that's actually how they listen – the kids listen to the radio broadcast at home. They use Sonos and the TuneIn app to get the – Stream from the radio station. See, it's crazy. The technology, that one little box, and you can do all that through there. Yeah, pretty (laughs) incredible. Well, that's your weekly to-do with uh, Ben Perkins, the lead estimator of Fox Valley Electric, in with us. 
If you have your Rosie on the House home maintenance app on your smartphone, you can schedule that to do, complete the task, assign it to somebody else in the house, or even uh, if you schedule that task in your in your home maintenance for something in the future, you can list all the tools you'll need. Uh, you know, you had mentioned box store. Do you all have like an electrical supply house you like to use as well? We use a couple different supply houses. I think for the general homeowner, I mean, the Home Depot and Lowe's, those Ace Hardware, you can find those at any point in time. Any of the major supply houses out in the Valley will definitely have them as well. Well, you can get started with your digital home management and maintenance by going to rosieonthehouse.com slash app. It's an extremely powerful tool, and it's definitely the the future of home ownership. Well, that's your weekly to-do with uh, Ben Perkins, the lead estimator of Fox Valley Electric, and with us. Ben, thanks for spending your Saturday morning here with us. Hey, thanks for having us. Well, there it is, the all-inclusive conversation about dimmers, dimwit versus dim smart. And an interesting point, A-Authentic Garage Door called in uh, one of our, our certified garage door company. And Perry from A-Authentic says, reminder, don't put LEDs in garage door openers. He said to read the instructions. They're very specific about what they'll take. Otherwise, it'll mess them up. And a texter said, don't forget the Renaissance Fair giveaway. Ah, we do have tickets. I'll do that coming into the next break because I don't even have the details in front of me. So let's go to the phone. Let's we've, go to the phone. We've phones. got Doug who's been very patient holding. Let's uh, take care of a caller What before we go on with our agenda and topics here. Mr. Doug. Good morning. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Uh, enjoy your show. Thank you, sir. I've got a roofing question for you. Okay. Got a roofing question for you. Um, have a place in Strawberry, Arizona, and it has a asphalt shingle roof. Okay. Um, and I've had the place for 10 and a half years or so. I don't know how old the roof is. So I'm wondering if there's a way to look at the shingles or substrate or something and be able to tell whether it's time to replace it or not before it starts leaking, you know what I'm saying? Oh, great. So you're not leaking. Is there a telltale sign? Not leaking now at all. No, okay. no, everything's fine. It, well, Doug, one... It seems one, like there may be a little... Go ahead. One of the things we look at in a three-tab uh, fiberglass shingle is set the ladder up where you can reach over the top of the eave and just kind of brush your hand over the top. You shouldn't break loose lots of granules, okay? Those granules should still be embedded pretty well into the asphalt bitumen product, the, the fiberglass product that's holding the, the, the granules there. The other thing is you stand back and look at it. Make sure you're not seeing bald spots where the granules have actually just been eliminated and you're seeing the straight fiberglass bitumen product itself. Those are a couple of the, vi- and of course, if you're missing shingles, of course, um, my my question would be, boy, if I had a cabin in Strawberry, um, I I would look really hard at a metal roof. Really, really hard for a whole lot of reasons. But uh, a, a good 30-year uh, three-tab fiberglass reinforced shingle uh, is going to be your economical choice. Uh, as far as who could do that, I don't have a Rosie certified roofer in Gila County. But I will tell you this, when they had the Happy Jack fire, uh, the insurance companies contacted Rosie on the house and said, hey, will you come up here? 
we can't get enough contractors up here, qualified contractors, to help us put these homes back together. And we went up there, we interviewed a lot of subcontractors and talked to a lot of people. They aren't Rosie certified, but I can get you the name of a couple good roofing specialists in the Payson Strawberry area. But I'm going to have to do that offline, okay? So, Doug, we've got That'd your phone. Cool. Doug, we've got uh, your phone number. Can I ask you one? Yeah, sure. Can I ask you one question about the metal roofs? Yeah. Um, we had a really good snow last February up there. Yes, you did. Uh, it was like 30, 36 inches. Yeah, baby. And um, they, uh, yeah, it was, it was crazy to try to dig out of that. But I happened to be standing <laughs> outside in the front yard looking around. And I saw a whole section of snow on my neighbor's roof come off at once, and he has a metal roof. Yes. Just a whole, a whole big sheet of it yeah, came yeah. off all at Avalanche. once. Avalanche. <laughs> yeah. So is there something you can get on a metal roof to prevent that? Yeah, you can, you can break that up into sheets by certain applications of uh, slide breakers that can go on there. You, you, you certainly can. That's a... That's a good point because that attic's warmer than the outside air for sure. So everything underneath the snow is getting melted loose, and it melts loose to the point where it becomes one giant slide, and whoosh, it all comes off at once. But how many times is strawberry going to get a 36-inch snow dump? Not very often. Uh, and generally speaking, we're not dealing with that kind of quantity. But when we are or if you want to cover those contingencies, they do make safety devices that can be installed. So there you go. Speaking of roofing, there was an interesting report Craft Jack came out with where it was studying contractors for uh, what what trades are hardest. You've got, uh, and they, they broke it down by most physically demanding according to the contractor and most physically demanding according to the consumer's perspective. Oh, yeah? And then they had one, another one, which trade is most difficult to master according to contractors Trades. and then according to uh, what, what the consumer's perspective is. Who did this survey? Craft Jack. I'm not familiar with them. Okay, so what, what were some of the results? Well, most physically demanding according to contractors, the number one trade was roofing. Um, and by... Th at 13%. And according to the homeowner's perspective, the consumer's perspective, it was number one at 20%. Hmm. Now, here's what's funny. Contractors who identified their specialty as most demanding, uh, physically demanding, get this, the roofers didn't even pick themselves. Okay. You know what trade picked themselves as the most physically demanding, according to the trade? i tell you what. If if you lay block all day long or you become a hod carrier, I would have I would have to think maybe that something in the masonry. You, as a hod carrier trying to keep up with four journeyman block layers, you are going to be frazzled by lunchtime. I'm going to guess plumbers because all the contortionism they have to do. <laughs> you know that that was down at three percent. Oh, okay. Now both according to contractors and consumers. Okay, this shows you what you know. The, the manly man attitude. Masonry didn't even pick themselves as the most physically demanding. Okay. P 
painters by 61% said ours is the most physically demanding. Now that's <laughs> peculiar. <laughs> huh. See, that's see, really, that's a surprise. I'm stumped. I, I don't get that. A man doesn't uh, need I'm, to tell you he's a man. That's, that's what this result tells you. Okay. okay. Yeah. Don't complain. Get up there and do your job. But I got to get my little paint bucket and my roller. So physically demanding. Let me pull the trigger and spray some paint here. In the back roll. Oh, man. I'll I can just see the emails and texts now. Oh, here comes the phone calls, too. I can tell you another trade that is surprisingly a lot of work. And that, that's applying plaster. And in the old days when we used to apply plaster with a, with a, with a, a gun and splash it on the wall yards at a time... The guy on the Darby, to level it all off, if you were the Darby man, uh, you had shoulders, traps, delts uh, made of steel. <laughs> you, you, you literally could not lift your arm, your hands above your belt after about three hours of following a good gunman. Didn't, didn't even make it on there. 61% of painters in this survey said theirs was the most physically demanding. Carpet cleaning was number fourth at 50%. <laughs> well, that goes, that, if you have to move a lot of big, heavy furniture, <laughs> maybe. I'm not buying it. Uh, flooring was number seventh at 43%. Now, I will say that will kill your knees. Uh, yeah. Depending on what you're doing, that, that could kill your knees. Yeah. Carrie likes this song, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's a musical version. I was waiting for the words. Oh, oh yeah. you're, you're going to sing for us? Is uh, that no it? No way. <laughs> I will. It was their one hit wonder, so. Yeah, that's right. Hey, do you remember last week when you no. were talking <laughs> when you were talking about realtors and flipping houses and we said, Hey, you'll probably Oh, did we get a bunch of phone calls? Well, not a bunch, but okay. I got straightened out a little bit. Do you want you want some help getting straightened out a little bit? Sure. I'll take all the help I can get. So I said it, there was actually a ruling backstory. Someone had called or you had mentioned how much you didn't like the fact that sometimes realtors would sell a flipped house. It wouldn't use permits, and you know it wouldn't be found out till later, and or a, licensed contractors. Yeah, and what a mess that could be. So, broker called to let you know that last July a ruling had been made, and uh, I happened to be very close to a developer and broker who read over the ruling for me because it's a lot of legal speak. Yes, but bottom line is, um, realtors that are flippers, have to use licensed contractors for any improvements that would require a city or a county permit. They pass that into law? Well, it's a Arizona Association of Realtors ruling. Oh, it's a code of ethics. Uh, uh, compli- you know what? I'm going to take, take some credit for that. And it, <laughs> I mean, um, we gave the Arizona Real Estate Board tons of grief. Well, now a flipper has to disclose that disclosed that permit was obtained and who the contractor is. So if you're buying a home and the realtor has flipped it, he owes you that information. And this came up because we took a call two weeks ago on air about a man who bought a historic home and was sure the work was done by unlicensed contractors. Surely. He checked to make sure uh, the permits were not pulled. As a matter of fact, I was on a job this week 
uh, where uh, contractors abandon the job. We w- it's a public document. You go into the building department, you look at the permit, and the guy had gutted the hole downstairs, and on the permit, he listed exchange, ex- exchanging a back door. Oh. And specifically said no other work being done. And he pulled that permit after half the work had been done. Anyway, that's another story. It, it just, but it's public document. So this homeowner knew his home had been remodeled without the permit. So he calls his realtor and says, do I, do I have grounds to be upset with anyone here? You who, who represented me, the buyer, maybe the realtor that represented the seller, maybe the seller that lied on his spuds report, maybe the home inspector that missed all this. This home wasn't asbestos as baited, wasn't lead asbestos, wasn't permitted on the per, on the project. Uh, you know, everything that could have been done half cocked, half half bad, <laughs> half wrong. I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. One you can uh, say on air. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Another uh, name for a donkey. And he called the realtor and asked him, and the realtor said, you know, now's not the time to be asking these questions. You should have asked that in escrow. No, the realtor should be asking these questions. The, you're revealing. The, you're the pro. You're the one that should be protecting your buyer. Anyway. Hey, one, okay, one of the okay, things. Okay, let's get off this. I did get three questions, three separate questions. What is a SPUDS report? Uh, uh, seller's property. Um, seller's property. I can't find the word. Disclosure. Disposi- thank you. Disclosure uh, sheet. Sheet. Yeah. So there you go. And you have and you have to say whether work's been done on, without a permit or not, and they all lie. That's why you can't believe them. And here you go. Uh, before we forget, Renaissance tickets. Yes. We've got one family pack. It's two adults, two kids, and a VIP parking. And then we've got a second set that is uh, just a, a two set without parking. Um, what is the name of the disciplined device used in medieval times that chains that 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 uh, you, you end up with your hands and your head locked in a wood structure, and you're, you're set out for a certain amount of time. You, you guys can all picture what I'm talking about? What is the name of that medieval discipline device? We'll pick a random right winner. As the show wraps up, text that answer to 411923, and we'll send you to the Renaissance Festival. And they're, they're good now till the end of the festival, which I think is March 29th. Great. So you got six weeks to use Today's it. Today's the first day, grand opening. All right, so what are your takeaways from today's four-hour program? This morning, just like you're talking, get out to a festival. We, we listed probably 20 festivals that were going on in Arizona. Get out and enjoy it. And guys, get ready. It's Valentine's Day. We're just giving you a polite reminder. You know, do something sweet, right? And then we listed someone wanting to know where to go waterfront camping. What did we do? We listed a dozen different places you go waterfront camping. Eight o'clock hour, John Eisenhower was talking chips, 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 wood chips, and all they can do for your yard. And the tree of the month, the Arabian lilac. The Arabian lilac. Lilac. Nine o'clock, Jennifer and I talked a lot about discoveries that changed our lives at the kitchen and bath show. And this hour, we wrapped up dim wit versus dim smart, installing dimmers in your house. And if I told you the address, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, that would be what house? Uh, White House. If I told you number one observatory circle? I don't know. That's the vice president's house. We'll be talking about the history of the White House. That's on a naval base. It is. 
The history of the White House next week. White House, and I, I think we're going to, let's pull some stuff on the, the Vice President's House, number one observatory. It's pretty interesting, too. Uh, all right. And we'll be joined by Dr. Dean from Grand Canyon University to talk about the, re, the construction history of the White House here at Rosie on the House.com. Between now and next week, if you have questions, rosieonthehouse.com.